Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. Well, I don't think anyone would um, blink an eye to hear me say we live in very strange times right now, right? I mean, you've got all kinds of things that seem to us to be very strange. You've got, obviously, COVID and all of that, all the things around it. You've got the weird election, whatever you think about it, it's weird, can't, can't argue with that one. Um, you see our culture really diving head, head first into degenerate rebellion against God, right? Nothing strange that I'm saying. We all know this. And we know, I think intuitively, that this means bad things for us. Hardship, pressure, um, even fiery ordeals coming our way. This is what it means to live as a Christian today. Right? We all know this. But what we tend to forget is actually this is not out of the ordinary at all. It's not strange at all. The Apostle Peter says, uh, don't think it strange, this fiery ordeal that's coming upon you. Don't think, don't be alarmed at this as if something strange is happening to you. Actually, that's what's normal. If you read history and just know what has happened over and over and over again in the history of the world, this is the kind of thing that happens over and over and over again in the history of the world. People get sick and die. Governments change. Rebellion intensifies. Christians are persecuted. This is just normal. Now, it hasn't been normal for us for the last little while, but it's normal. And so here's what happens. We look at our day and we look at ourselves and what's going on and we think, okay, this is the most extraordinary time that's ever happened in the history of the world. I mean, it must be because we're living in it and we're extraordinary, you know, I don't know. This is, ever, this is like amazing. There's nothing like this has ever happened. And that's crazy. This is the kind of thing that always happens. And if you think that this is extraordinary, then you think, okay, normal rules don't apply, <laughs> okay? We're gonna be Christians, but we're gonna be extraordinary. And what it means to be extraordinary means to kind of leapfrog over ordinary and land way out here somewhere, like on the edge. You know, we're gonna be radical. And in order to be radical, we think, well, we're just gonna leapfrog right over normal. And we're gonna be, uh, you know, fighting for the truth, fighting for what's right. Desperate times call for desperate measures, as they say. The problem is, that's really not at all how the Bible talks to us. 
The Bible calls us, even in extraordinary wicked, extraordinarily wicked days, calls us to normal. Calls us to ordinary, everyday, kind of boring godliness. Okay? One of the places it does that is Titus chapter 2. So I want to read it to you. Titus 2, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter. He says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a young pastor named Titus. He's telling Titus what to do. But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips or enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the word of the Lord. So this is Paul writing to Titus. Titus is a young pastor who the Apostle Paul left on the island of Crete in order to do some work. And looking back in chapter one, here's the work he's supposed to do. In verse five it says, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So there's work to be done. The church is suffering because it doesn't have good elders. Titus is to go throughout the churches and help them raise up elders into office. And here's why. Verse 10. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. So Titus has hard work to do. Raise up good elders. Why? Because there's bad elders. That's what he's talking about. There are men who are teaching things they should not teach. And so they must be silenced. So you've got to raise up good men to do that work. And then he says this at the, very, the last verse of chapter 1. These men, these empty talkers, he says, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. 
Now, kids, how would you like your dad to say that to you? Son, you are detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. I mean, that's intense. He's not being mean, he's just being true. This is what is true of these men. But the thing is, who are these guys? They profess to know God. So they say things with their lips. They profess, I know God. I'm a Christian. In fact, I'm not just a Christian, I'm a teacher. Right? That's who these guys are. They profess one thing, but when you look at their life, it looks very different from what they profess. And in fact, what the, how they live is actually a denial, an active denial of God. They profess to know God by their deeds, they deny him. That's what Titus is up against. This is what we're up against. The world is filled, the church is filled with men like that who talk good talk, but then what, how they live and what they promote, the actions they call for and all these things actually denies God. We're supposed to be on the alert for these men. And then chapter two, verse one, all right? So notice at the end of chapter one, he says this, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Then chapter two, verse one. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. So there's a contrast, right? These men profess, they, they say the right things, but then they deny the Lord by their actions. But you, Titus, speak the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is really, really important. Right? We, we shouldn't brush off sound doctrine. These men that Titus is up against are teaching things they should not teach. They're teaching rotten doctrine as opposed to sound doctrine. So we should be worried about sound doctrine. Sound doctrine affects everything. But sound doctrine is not a, an end in itself. Having gotten sound doctrine and spoken it doesn't mean anything, really, if your life denies the doctrine you profess. You all with me, that makes sense. And so Titus, as a pastor, is to speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. He's supposed to teach the things. Okay, we've got the sound doctrine, now I'm gonna teach you how to live in such a way that fits with that sound doctrine. It's not either or, you need both. And so that, that's what he's going to do. He's going to give specific instructions to specific groups in the church for living a life that fits with sound doctrine. Um, we can have sound doctrine, we should have it. I hear, sometimes I hear some of you young men, you know, arguing about sound doctrine. 
And that's, that's good, usually. Sometimes I hear the things you're arguing about and I think, um, you know, there's a lot in the Bible that tells you to stop arguing about stupid things. And young men especially tend to get wrapped up in arguing about stupid things. And leaving their beds unmade. We'll get to that in a minute. So we want sound doctrine, but there's a life that is incredibly important that fits with it. So he's gonna talk about or address specific groups. Now I've read the passage, we've read it together. What strikes you is really weird. So what he's going to give us here is um, absolutely countercultural to, to us today. Everything he says is countercultural to us today. And if you, you want to be countercultural, I'm thinking especially of you young men, you want to be different from the culture, here's the map for it. This is true for all of us. One of the ways this passage is incredibly in the face of our culture is what does he do? At the very beginning, what does he do? He starts discriminating. On the basis of what? Two things. Age and and Okay, thank you. I, I thought someone was going to say gender. We don't like that. Age and sex. Older men. Older women. Younger women. Younger men. Right? So that's the first thing to see here. All right? There is um, godliness. There are specific instructions that are unique to the old and, the, and to the young, to the men and to the women. And yes, it really is different. And yes, it makes sense. Because old men don't have the, um, the same pro- propensities as young women. I mean, how could you be more different? And so old men need to hear certain things, young women need to hear some other things. Old women, sorry, older women, need to hear certain things, and young men need to hear certain other things. I mean, it's not just mix and match. It doesn't make sense that way. What makes sense is this is what you need to hear. This is what godliness looks like for you. So what does he say? Verse two. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Temperate means sober. Why does he tell older men to be temperate? Isn't that what older men are? Why does he tell older men to be dignified? Isn't that just what older men are by naturally? 
aren't older men just naturally sensible? Well, apparently not, because if they were, he wouldn't have to tell them, urge them, teach them to be that way. So let me talk to older men. I'm not quite sure where I fit in in here. The first time I preached this years and years and years and years ago, years ago, I was clearly a younger man. (laughs) Now I'm not quite sure where to put myself. Older men, as we get older, brothers, we actually tend to put our guard down, I think. I think actually we, we tend to think, well, I'm not a young man. I don't have all those same pressures and temptations as a young man. And we, then we start to slide, right? We might start drinking too much. We might just start getting into things that draw us away from the Lord. And so he says, no, you are to be temperate. You're to be dignified. You are to be sensible. Sensible means self-controlled. Dignified means gravity, weight. You're to carry yourself as an older man. Not getting goofy, not getting, you know, going off into weird things, but dignified, sensible. Then he says, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in perseverance. Uh, Older men tend to be very concerned about the soundness of their health and the soundness of their finances. Be sound in your faith. Sound means healthy, right? Be healthy in your faith. What I think is the tendency for old men is to grow cynical in their faith. To kind of give up on the zeal of youth with a jaundiced eye, you know, just like, yeah, whatever. I used to be like that too. Someday you'll grow out of it, you know? And that's bad. We are to have healthy, sound, solid faith towards God healthy, sound, solid love for one another, for other people, for our wife, for our children, for our neighbors, for the people we work with, people we live with. Because older men tend to grow what? What's the the, uh, stereotype for old men? What's the adjective? Grumpy and bitter. And then sound and perseverance. Perseverance is steadfast resolve, it's stability in the face of life. So older men, look, this is what's normal, this is what's good, this is what's ordinary godliness for you, and that's a lot of work actually, right? Temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love and perseverance, brothers, This church needs you older men to be like that. We need you to be that way. The young men need you to be this way. 
the church needs backbone. And you're it. Are you with me? This is what you older men need to be. And then he moves on to older women. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior. Reverence is a word we usually associate with worship. Right? I mean, that's where we think of reverence. Reverence and awe. You know, we come and worship the Lord in reverence and awe. That's the word, reverent. But he says reverent in their behavior. And so this is a Godward um, quality. The older women are to always think of everything they do in the face of God. Everything they do should be done kind of in the shadow, you know, with the, the light of God shining down on them. Always thinking about the Lord and how their behavior reflects on the Lord. And so older women are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips. Why didn't he tell the young men not to be malicious gossips? Or the old men, for that matter, right? The, he, he is, he knows us, and he knows what we need to hear. And so, yes, older women have a tendency. Just like old men have a tendency to be grumpy and bitter, older women have a tendency to be malicious gossips. That shouldn't come as a surprise to us. Not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. Teaching what is good. And so, the older women bear a special kind of weight and responsibility here in this passage. This is Titus 2. We always talk about Titus 2 women, right? Here, here it is. And the work of these older women is to teach. Teaching what is good. Well, who are they to teach? The younger women. That's what it says. Teaching what is good, verse four, so that they may encourage or train not just encourage, but really train the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Well, think about this. This is the only... Um, this is kind of the Apostle Paul telling Titus to get at the younger women, but indirectly, right? Because what he's saying is, Titus, the pastor, is to teach the older women to teach the younger women. The older women are to teach the younger women. So the pastor, Titus, is teaching the old men, he's teaching the older women, he's teaching the young men. But there's something unique here that's different, right? The older women are the ones who are to teach the younger women. Now, a pastor can teach the younger women 
that, okay, young, young women, you should love your husbands. You should love your children. You should be sensible. You should be pure. You should be a worker at home. You should be kind and subject to your own husband. I, I can teach you that you should. It's really hard to teach, for me to teach you how. That's what the older women are for. Not just to, but how. This is not something that you learn in a class. This is not something you learn just from a book. This is not something all of you older women can just offload to Mary Lee. Right? Or to Ann Wegener. This is something that all of you bear the weight of. Every one of you. Now, if you might think, well, am I an older woman or am I a young woman? Well, there's always women younger than you. <laughs> so there's a good, you know. Uh, sisters, our church desperately needs you older women to bear this weight. The young women of our culture, most of them, many of them, a great many of them, don't have an old, a mother teaching them, don't have a grandmother teaching them. And even if they do, they're normally not here. And it doesn't matter. He's telling you women to do this. It's not up to you to figure out the logistics and second guess the Apostle Paul. We need you for this. We need you. You might think, well, if I try to, you know, insert myself, if I see this woman and she's, it, it's clear that she's kind of not loving her husband and not loving her children and she's kind of a flibberty gibbet and, you know, but, you know, it's not my job to teach her because I, you know, that's, that would be rude or I'd be meddling or that would be, you know, just she wouldn't respond well. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the Holy Spirit. You have to take this on. And as a matter of fact, you know that when you younger women, when an older woman comes to you and says, you know what? Well, I, I can't pretend to do it because I don't know how to do this. I'm not an older woman. But you know, <laughs> you're not going to chafe against that. I mean, it might sting at first, but you're not going to chafe. This is what you, the younger women want. So please, please do this. The darker our culture gets, the more important this is. Now, what does he say in a roundabout way to the younger women? What are they to teach? What are the older women to teach them? Just look at it. Talk about countercultural, right? Love your husband. You want to be something? You want to be something in this dark world? Here's a start. Love your husband. Love your children. Oh, women don't need to be taught to love their children. That just happens naturally. Well, I don't know. Here he says, says that you have to be taught. 
Be sensible. Be pure. Be a worker at home. You know, we're reading through the Proverbs uh, in the, this Bible reading program we're doing. And just the other day, we read Proverbs 7. And verse 11 is, or Proverbs 7 is talking about this adulterous woman. Remember this passage? And one of the things it says about her in verse 11 is her feet do not remain at home. He says to teach the younger women to be workers at home. To be kind. Being subject to their own husbands. Even when you disagree. Why? What's at stake here? What does he say? So that the word of God will not be dishonored. So sisters, you bear an incredible weight of witness to the world. Now the world will make fun of you for taking this seriously. They'll hate you for it. But even their hatred is in a, in a way an honoring of the word of God. You understand? It's acknowledging reluctantly that there's an authority here, there's a standard here. They hate it, but they know you're living up to it. And in that sense, the word of God is honored, even by them. But this is a huge weight for you young and old women to bear. The world is watching. They love to dishonor the word of God. Especially when they see, wait a minute, here's what the word of God says, but this is how you're living. Take this seriously. Then he switched gears, switches gears in verse six to the young men. Likewise, urge. <laughs> I just noticed he uses the word urge. He hasn't said that yet. He says, urge the young men to be sensible. Urge is an intense word. It's not suggest. Would you possibly consider growing up? <laughs> urge them. To do what? To be sensible. Period. No list necessary here. One job. Young men, you have one job. Be sensible. Now that word shows up in all, all of these people. The old women, the old men, the young women. That word sensible. But here it's the list. <laughs> young men, be sensible. And I'm not suggesting it. Apostle Paul doesn't suggest it. He urges it. That's intense. You need to be sensible. Grow up.
Young men typically have energy. This reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says back in 2 Timothy 2.22. That's easy to remember, 2 Timothy 2.22. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Young men should be running, running, running away, flee from youthful lusts, pursuing, chasing down, running after righteousness, faith, love, and peace. You've been given strength. Run with it, not into stupidity. But after things that matter, and find people to do it with. Because he says, do this with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Find young men, find for yourself other young men with whom you can flee your lusts and you can chase righteousness. And just because they're in this church doesn't mean that's the group for you. There are plenty of young men, men in here who are not fleeing from youthful lusts and not chasing righteousness. But just because they're here doesn't mean they're a good candidate for your friends. Find the ones that are actually doing what God commands. So young men, I urge you, be sensible. And then he says this to, the, to Titus. I think this is why I think Titus is a younger pastor because he kind of lumps him in with the young men. He says this, verse seven, in all things show yourself, Titus, to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. We do have younger pastors here and others aspiring to that work. Young men, young men, young pastors, here's what he says to you. In everything, show yourself to be an example of good deeds. With purity in doctrine. And here's that word again, dignified. Don't be a doofus. Sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Why? Well, here it is again. So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Young men tend to fly off the handle. Young pastors on the internet tend to do it even more. And say stupid things. And do stupid things. That, is not, that are not dignified. That are not true. That are not sound. That are not pure. And therefore the opponent boasts and has all kinds of bad things to say about us. Verse nine, he shifts to another category and this is bond slaves. And that's another can of worms as it were, we're not gonna get into. 
In other words, we're not going to defend the Bible's, um, that the, the Bible takes for granted bond slaves. Okay, it does. The application, I think, the closest application to us, of course, would be those of us who are employees, who work for someone else. So read that in this light. Here's what he says. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing. Do you like to please your employer? Well, you're supposed to. Not argumentative. There are men that I know who can't hold a job because they argue with their boss because they know better. This applies to you, right? Not pilfering, not taking a little money here and there or whatever, but showing all good faith. Being a good worker, being for the the boss, for the company, why? so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Again, here it is again. The witness, the weight of witness falls on all of us. The older women, the younger women, the younger men, the pastors, the employees, so that they will adorn, beautify the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. If you are a lazy dog, an argumentative, surly, reluctant employee, you're not beautifying the doctrine, you're uglifying the doctrine of God, God our Savior. Okay. So there's the work. This is ordinary work. This is common work. This is not glamorous in any way. This is boring work. This is stuff that uh, you're not going to get a lot of likes if you post a video of yourself doing it on Facebook. Here I am, being sensible. No, that's not what we post on Facebook. This is normal, boring, largely unseen, although it is seen, especially when we do the opposite. But it's boring, normal stuff. Does that make it easy? No. You know what's easy? Flying off the handle on Facebook standing with a crowd on a street corner. Give me that any day. Easy, easy, easy. This is not easy. You can stand on the corner without the Holy Spirit. You can't do any of this without the Holy Spirit. So what do we need? We need two things. We need... Motive and power. We need motive and power to do anything. Literally anything. If you're going to do anything, you have to, have, you have to want to do it. 
you could have the ability to do it and not want to do it. Well, that's a problem. Or you could have the desire to do it, the will to do it, but not have the power. Also a problem. You need both. You need, need motive and power. And here's the thing, God gives us both. Remember what he says in Philippians. He says, it is God who is at work in you to what? To will, motive, and to do, power. His good pleasure, to will and to do. And so God gives us will, power, and motive, motive and power. Look at verse 11. Here's the whole logic of this passage. It all comes down to verse 11. He's told us what to do, a long list really of do's and don'ts, which the Bible actually is full of. And he comes down to verse 11, and then the logic kicks in, and here it is, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. You're to do these things, older men, older women, younger women, young men, pastors, slaves, employees, You're to do this, why? Because the grace of God has appeared. That changes everything. And that gives us both motive and power. The grace of God has appeared and it's not wimpy, lukewarm, milk toast grace. It's powerful grace. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. Grace of God comes and changes people. The grace of God is not the get out of obedience free card. Look at what he says. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us, disciplining us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly there's that word again, righteously and godly in the present age. So you say, take the young men, that's all they got, right, is sensible. Well, here it is, this is what the grace of God does. The grace of God comes and teaches you to say no to your lusts, to say no to your ungodliness, and to live sensibly. How are you gonna do this? Well, the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has shone into your heart and it changes you and it disciplines you and it instructs you. It tells you, it gives you reason, motive, and power, ability. You cannot do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. But God doesn't leave you on your own. The grace of God bursts on the scene. It's powerful grace. It's instructing, disciplining grace. Negative and positive say no to ungodliness and worldly desires. Say yes to living sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. In this present age, even this one. Doesn't matter how bad it is. It's this age. You're living in it. The grace of God is given to you to empower you and motivate you to obey him. And then you get in, I think, to motive, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. There is coming a day when all of the promises of God that seem murky and dark and iffy to our weak faith, 
when all those promises are going to be revealed in perfect clarity. It's the day when he returns. And all of these promises of blessing, of joy, of peace, of life will be real to you if, you, if you're his child. This is how motivation works. Sin, as it were, comes up to you. Sin doesn't come up to you and say, hey, look here. If you do this thing, you're gonna be filled with misery, pain, and, and death. It'll be great. Is that how sin talks to you? Here, do this. It'll be like chewing on gravel. Sin lies to you and says, do this and you will have life and joy and peace and pleasure. And the only way to fight that is with truth. Real life, real joy, real peace, real pleasure. And that's what's gonna be given to us in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. This is, this is the motive for fighting your sin. This is the strength that God gives you. Now look at this, look at verse 14. Speaking of Christ Jesus, our God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possessions, zealous for good deeds. Old men, the Lord Jesus Christ did not give himself so that you would be a grumpy old man, a bitter, cynical, prickly, grumpy old man. Old women, our Lord Jesus Christ did not give himself for you so that you would be a malicious gossip, living for your own desires, spreading destruction with your mouth. He gave himself for you so that you would teach what is good. Young women, our Lord Jesus Christ did not get himself, give himself for you so that you would be an adulteress, so that you would be a dripping faucet, a nasty woman. Young men, our Lord Jesus Christ did not give himself for you so that you'd be a lazy dog in your bed. He gave himself for you to redeem you from every lawless deed, to purify for himself an old man, an old woman, a young woman, a young man, for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Zealous for good deeds. Okay, so here we are, right? So, yes, now, finally, we're at the part where we get to go and do crazy things. Zealous for good deeds. 
What are the good deeds he's talking about? Come on. He just told you. Be dignified. Don't be a drunkard. Be sensible. Grow up. Take responsibility. Bear the weight. Always remember who's watching. Honor the Lord in your work. That's not very flashy. It's what Jesus died for. Does that matter to you? That's what he actually died for. To purify for himself a people who are zealous for that. Be zealous for, for sensibility, young men. <laughs> oh, it's funny to think about what that would look like. Probably it'll mean knocking each other upside the head when you're, when you're not. Or something. Literally, uh, not literally, figuratively. But I mean, be zealous. Be zealous for these things, brothers and sisters. Be zealous for them. We are easily led into all kinds of zeal for all kinds of things. And like I said before, we want to leapfrog over this and get to that. The Lord is not pleased with that. One last verse, the end of the chapter, verse 15. And boy, talk about countercultural. Talk about one verse that cuts across the grain of everything our culture holds dear. Almost as much as when he says that the young women should be workers at home. Here's what he says, verse 15. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority, let no one disregard you. So this again, he's talking to the pastor, right? This is what, how the pastors are supposed to speak. We are to speak these things. We are to exhort these things. Exhort you to do them. We are to tell you these things. We are to exhort you to do them. We are, in fact, supposed to reprove you. Reprove you with all authority. And he even goes so far as to say, let no one disregard you. Um, pastors get disregarded all the time by who? Well, by those nasty people out there in the media. Yeah, but who cares? We are told here to use our office to see to it 
that these are the things that you do. That's what the Bible says. You will, you, some of you, I'm sure, maybe many of you have had us, have had pastors come to you and say exactly these things. Look, what are you doing with your life? What you're doing is wrong. That's the reproof. Come on, we can do better. You can do better than this. That's the exhortation. And we do it with authority. Whatever pitiful amount of authority we can muster in our time because we don't understand it. And so I urge you, hearing what the pastors are supposed to do, would you please help us? (laughs) Just help us by not disregarding us. Don't brush us off. We love you. But we love God more than that. And the honor of God is at stake, the word of God is at stake, the reputation of God is at stake. All right. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that you have poured out your grace on us richly through Jesus Christ. And that grace empowers us and motivates us, it strengthens us, it shows us the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and his coming. It teaches us to say no to everything that's wicked in us and to pursue what's good in very concrete and specific ways. Lord, please help us. Help us, Lord. Help us to take these things very seriously. Help us not to disregard you as you've come to us in your word. We ask that your honor and your word and your glory would be magnified through us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.